Welcome to the podcast that's dedicated to making you a faster cyclist, the Ask a Cycling Coach podcast presented by Trainer Road. I'm Coach Jonathan Lee with our head coach, Chad Timmerman. Hey, everybody. And a special guest, Dave Christensen from Team Mark Pro Cycling. How's it going, man? Good. Thanks for having me, guys. Well, hey, and uh, thanks to all the listeners for suffering through me. <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be good. So if if any of you have watched uh, The Chase or any video that's ever been put out by Trainer Road, uh, Dave is our filmmaker, our in-house filmmaker. So uh, The Chase is definitely like our, I guess, like our, our, our crown jewel right now um, that we have. And we're working on some other awesome projects too, but that's Dave's handiwork. So uh, he's an incredible cyclist too, though. Uh, and many times he's faster than the people that he's filming. So um, usually, yeah, usually. <laughs> so we're stoked to have Dave with us. Um, Dave, can you give us an idea first, I guess, before we get into anything, how'd you get into cycling and then how'd you get into, cause you race overseas and that sort of stuff. So tell us how you got started into that too. Okay. Um, so I started with mountain biking, family friend, um, kind of was like, Hey, why don't you give it a try? And I mountain biked for probably five years. Nice. Nothing like really super serious, but I actually did a lot of the Reno Willman races when I was younger. Nice. Did Downeyville one time. Heck yeah. <laughs> it was freaked out. It's <laughs> pretty sketchy <laughs> when you're from <laughs> Yeah. When you're like 17 years old, you're like, oh man. They've got a new course for that this year, by the way. So yeah. stay tuned folks. Um, so, and then, uh, I transitioned over to road cycling, like kind of as a mode of transportation and then, uh, through the mountain bike racing, I was like, oh, okay, I'll try road racing. And I, I liked it a little more. Um, and then I think living in Italy, like really gave me, I mm-hmm. went to study there and that gave me a, a passion for cycling. Um, and then working on various projects with like companies like Rafa, um, stuff like that got really even more sucked into the cycling, um, sphere. Nice. <clears throat> and then, uh, after college, I moved to Asia to work, uh, and ended up riding for like a, I guess it was, yeah, it was a pro team, but, mm-hmm. um, did a bunch of UCI road races and stage races over there and a bunch of, uh, really hard amateur races too, before that over there that, uh, it's a, it's a total different scene. You don't really know about <laughs> a lot of these races that nobody ever talks about them, but they're, yeah. you know, China. Uh, Thailand, Indonesia, just a bunch of crazy places. You have a pretty extensive background in road racing. Yeah. 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 yeah and stage racing specifically too. Um, you have a lot of experience in that. I mean, cause there, there's, there's road racing and then stage racing obviously is road racing, but I mean, as, as I found out this year, even just with mountain biking, it's a, it's a different animal, different man. Animal. Yeah. It's a different animal. Stage racing is pretty gnarly stuff. Yeah. Um, so you ride for team Mark pro, right? Yes. Yeah. Um, you ride on KTMs. Yeah. They don't have motors. No, nope. some people might think <laughs> motorless um, version. Sometimes yeah. I wish they did. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you're getting spat out the back. You're like, yeah. <laughs> um, and then you race. So you guys, even though you're a team based out of Northern California, and if you listen to the previous episode of the podcast, you could hear us break down, uh, lots of different stuff about stage racing, team camps and plenty of stuff. But, um, you're based out of Northern California. The team is but you race all around the world too, right? Uh, yeah, it seems lately <clears throat> we've been doing, uh, m- most of our international stuff has been in uh, Central America. Nice. And I think we did, I didn't do it, but uh, the team went to China last year too. But yeah, 
nationally, they race a lot nationally. I don't do the national races with them as much because I'd rather save my vacation days to go do the international stuff. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. That seems more fun. Uh, well, yeah. kind of. Then I hear about your racing. It doesn't sound very fun. Um, and where we left off on the last podcast is you went to the Dominican Republic. Someone's saying Dave talks too quietly. I guess if you get closer to the mic, okay. then it'll Sorry. be better. Sorry, guys. Um, but uh, Dave, has a, Dave has a softer voice than us loudmouths over here. Um, but we talked about uh, you guys are going to the Dominican Republic for a stage race there. Um, it was a UCI stage race, but then this year, um, I guess it wasn't UCI. Or? Yeah, I don't know. Like they had all the UCI banners and huh. stuff up, but I think that was probably just a holdover from yeah, last from the year. year. <laughs> I think what happened is they lost funding. So gotcha. I think, uh, it went from eight days, which it was last year to six days, which was cool. Actually. I thought it was better this year. Yeah. With the, and we were based in the same hotel not a lot of transfers, yeah. which made it a lot easier. Um, so yeah, the, I mean, they asked for our licenses, but I don't know. I don't think it was as, as far as I know, there was no UCI, uh, commissaries there, but, uh, do you want me to just kind of, yeah. Like I, so I've heard some gnarly things about the races <clears throat> down there. Like I heard from one guy, um, that did a race. This is down in Puerto Rico that they had the KOM and it was a, it was a mountaintop finish. And like, as soon as they got there, some locals were up in like the front group and then a bunch of dudes appeared out of the, out of the trees with quads and they just like held onto their quads and like, <laughs> they okay. just nibbled their way up to the yeah. top, you know? <laughs> um, and like, I hear like, but I hear it's kind of wild, right? Like, did you guys have any crazy experiences at all this year? Um, or just so dudes that were crazy fast? The, yeah. They're, it's extremely fast. I mean, it was just as fast as a UCI race. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe faster. <laughs> and like having done it the year before I knew the local guys were pretty strong. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of the craziest thing. It's sort of like having done it so much, you know, the routine you get in the day before mm -hmm. you build your bikes, you meet up with your other teammates. We all got in at the same time, basically. So it was really easy. How many? There were uh, six of us. Six, six teammates. And you um, just brought road bikes. You didn't bring TT bikes. Right? No, there was no time trial this year. Nice. So that's cool. That makes it easier. And we all pretty much know the routine. I think only I'd raced with Boardman before, but mm -hmm. I think that was his first time to race in Central America. Yeah. And he's your climber. He's like our or, or hammer. Guy. I mean, yeah. he's, he's a beast. He's yeah. like good at everything. Yeah. Um, but, uh, how'd you guys end up doing? Did you get stayed like podiums at all or anything else like that? Cause so it's, how, it's gnarly yeah. riders you're riding against. So how did podiums huge Nate Freed who was there also put it, it was the best of times and it was the worst <laughs> of times. times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, so it started out well first day. Like, do you want me to go stage by stage? Or I guess the highlights, like what the you highlights? feel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think I was really impressed with Gavin and Quentin. Yeah. Who are two younger guys. I'd raced with Gavin. He guest rode with us last year in Puerto Rico, actually. Yeah. And he, I think, got third on GC at that race. Okay. Huh. Um, but this race is much harder. Yeah. There's really, I mean, the stages are so long. It's like five hours a day. It's oh, really geez. long. It's hard. It, it hot. Windy. Yeah. Right? I mean, uh, the, the, the non-climbing days were like 6,000 feet. Oh, wow. Would be a flat day. Wow. <laughs> Still climbing. Um, but like, like first stage, Quentin and Gavin made the break. 
And then Boardman and I were second group, basically just sitting on, not doing any work, getting towed around by Francisco Mancebo. Nice. <laughs> Good wheel to like, <laughs> Well, just, yeah, you just sit on them and you're like, yeah, I'm not doing anything. Yeah. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> but uh, I can't remember the placings that day, but they, you know, took significant time on us. They got like six minutes something. Oh, wow. Because nobody was chasing and hmm. it was a big break, like 15. I, I'm pretty sure Quentin got third or second that day. Jeez, man. And that's good. That's a that's a big result. Yeah, Gavin was like, you know, sixth or something like that. And uh other let's Did see. Did Quentin stay, end up winning a stage? Quentin the highest Quentin got was six, uh second. Oh. And he held the sprinter's jersey. Or the yeah, the sprinter's jersey. There had two sprinters jerseys. One was like the most I think they call it regular dad. Okay. So it'd be yep. like, who's the highest placings overall? Makes sense. Um, so I guess to put it in perspective, Qu- it's a six-stage race, and Quentin was only out of the top 10 on the climbing day. Wow. So he finished in the top 10 every single day but one. Wow. Which That's is good, insane. Man. That's like, really, really good. Insane. Um, it's a pretty, pretty high average speeds, too, over the course of these long yeah, stages. I don't really... So Blake did this breakdown, which was pretty cool. Blake Anton, who I've raced with a lot overseas, he's a super fun guy to, to do these trips with because yeah. it's great attitude and yeah, he's just a cool guy, fun fun to ride with. And yeah, um, he did this breakdown of because he's done this race three years in a row, and this year was like a mile and a half faster. Oh, wow. Than any other year he'd done it. Really? So how fast, like roughly, do you get where you guys carry <clears throat> I on think averages? The average. For the whole race was twenty six and a half miles an hour or something Holy like that. Holy cow! With everything, yes, yeah. that's, that's crazy fast, man. I could be overstating <laughs> a little bit, but I think that's about what it was. Wow! And it was seven hundred miles. That's right in six days. In six days. Oh my gosh! Oh. Yeah, Chad, uh, we're not doing that anytime no. soon. No, <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> not at all. Um, well, thanks. Uh, this is going to be cool. We're gonna, like I said, for all that are joining us live, we're gonna cover the stage racing questions that you're sending in. Um, we have a number of them coming in already, but keep putting them in so then we can, can answer those. Um, one of them that I see right here is, uh, somebody says, how do I recover between stages on the same day? In my case, a TT, then a crit. So that kind of sounds like Chico stage race. I know you've done that too, Chad. So perhaps you guys can. Yeah. A lot of races have, or a lot of stage races have two a days when they're just like three and four stage races. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like a TT and a crit. Fit it in yeah, a that's pretty common combination. Type of a deal. So how do you guys do that? Like, let's say you start with a TT. What do you do to recover before the crit? I think it depends on how much time is between the two, but it's usually like Chico, I think it's pretty significant. It's like a few hours, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I definitely, after the TT, do a really good cool down, like spin for, you know, at least 10, 15 minutes, 20 minutes. Yeah, easy. Same here. Especially being older. <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah Chad, how old are you, Chad? Uh, <laughs> let's see. I'm <laughs> slightly older than Valverde. Okay. But younger than Chad. Nice. Okay. Gotcha. <laughs> you can figure I, that I, out. I just, I just turned 40. So awesome. I'm, I'm old. <laughs> um, and then you, uh, th- just like a breakdown really quick. I, I should have said this first because I think this is one of the first requested things, but your height, your weight, and, and, and FTP. Uh, so I'm, this is crazy. <laughs> At camp, they like, measured our height at yeah. our team camp. And 
I thought I was five nine. Turns out I'm five eight. <laughs> you were five eight. Yeah. Like he had this like la- laser thing to measure. Up. And he's like, Yeah, most people think they're an inch taller than they really are. And I was like, So I'm I'm five eight. Huh. All right, cool. So forty years or whenever I got to five nine. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've been thinking. But so uh and I'm probably like one forty five or one forty three right now. Okay. And probably three twenty five FTP. Okay. Cool. So, um, so that sets the ground, that sets the groundwork, I guess. So I, getting back to the, how you recover, you do that cool down after that TT, then what's next on the list. If you have a couple hours, what, what do you um, do? I would probably, depending on how long the time trial was, I definitely would take like a H24 recovery drink after, like mm-hmm. we have an endurance one and a, and a protein one more, I think one's. Yeah, they call one endurance and one like for like more like gym. Like if you're going to the gym. Nice. Strength yeah. one. Yeah, strength. That's yeah. what it's called. Yeah. yeah. Uh, rebuild. Rebuild. And um, I'd probably take the endurance one. Okay. Take that down. Um, and then depending on when that next stage was, would that's how I'd time like if I, if I was going to eat, right? Like if I was going to eat something – substantial. Yeah. If it's like mm-hmm. a five hour yeah. gap, you can get away with quite yeah. a lot with the two hour gap. Not so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's kind of tough. Like what yeah. would you take down with the, if you had just like a two hour gap, I would probably just eat some oatmeal or something like something, yeah, something quick burning. Yeah. Didn't sit on the stomach very long. Mm-hmm. Wasn't uh, s- certainly not fatty or super high protein, not mm-hmm. a lot of fiber, that, that sort of thing. The, the usual recommendations we make when you have a, a narrow window to, to nourish yourself. Yeah. yeah. I, and I think it's kind of like, so Chico is a good example, right? That's a 20-minute time trial mm-hmm. if you're fast, right? Mm-hmm. That's taxing, but it's not crazy. You're not burning a ton of glycogen, yeah, right? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and then it, you got an hour, hour and a half crit after that. You don't need to eat a ton. Mm-hmm. I mean, and then conditions would dictate just how severely, de- if any dehydration, real substantial dehydration took place. Yeah. Obviously, hydration will be a concern, but less yeah. so in, you know— uh, less severe conditions. Yeah, even if you didn't drink during the time trial, which is a common choice on shorter time oh, trials, yeah, over like twenty this, minutes, right? nah. you don't need to drink. Yeah. So in don't that, even put a b- bottle on your bike for that. Yeah, yeah, you're gonna save. You're gonna save time, um, and you may have a dry mouth, but it's that that effort. Mm. As long as you're hydrating afterward, it's not going to be detrimental. I would say come into a hydrated hydrate. I don't even post, know, like fine. full gas. What would that be? Even like three hundred calories or something? I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you're probably going to burn maybe. a whole lot either. Sure. So then I guess, is there anything that you guys are, if, if, have you ever screwed that up going from the TT to the crit and like, have you figured out what made you screw that up? Like, for example, you feel like you just didn't come into the crit prepared for one reason or another. It can be a little vexing if you, if you're targeting one over the other. I mean, I like to finish with a time trial and just leave everything I had left in that time trial, but Mm -hmm. commonly, and it seems to work out this way with Chico, the crit is always the last event. So you almost uh, kind of restrain yourself a bit, maybe in the time trial, knowing Mm -hmm. that you still have a criterium to race, especially if you plan to do well in that criterium. Right. 20 minute effort, you probably don't restrain yourself too much knowing that you can only suffer so much and leave so much out there yeah. over the course of a 20-minute effort. But it does force you to prioritize a bit and maybe restrain yourself on that earlier event. Yeah, because that's interesting. I know that, like, Dave, like, we were talking about a general strategy if you have, like, a, a stage race and it's and it's got a TT and then you've got the other road race things. And in many cases, the TT is where you can grab the most time on people. Well, and see, that you know? sways mm-hmm. what I just said or shapes yeah. what I just said for sure. Yeah, Chico, yeah. I mean, if we're using that as an example, you could – do nothing in any other stage. Like, mm-hmm. okay, good example, right? 2016, mm-hmm. we rode it in a mm-hmm. in the Masters field, Chad and I, and a couple of teammates. And 
I finished like 40th and I crashed in the road race, but got same time because it was, at the, within, yeah, it was within the last three K. So I got same mm-hmm. time. Um, yeah. And I did a good TT and I got sixth overall. Yeah. That's, like, that so race is like, ba- I mean, if you don't lose time, it, your placings don't matter, but if you can smoke the TT, then you're going to finish high on GC. Mm-hmm. That's so, pretty much, it worked that way across the board. I know other yeah. categories, the, the guy who, the guys who time trialed the best were, were the guys who were in the top 10 GC and mm-hmm. the winners. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure, I mean, th- so this, if you do hammer the, the TT, let's say, and you're really going for time on that. How do you then adjust for that when you have a crit coming up just a few hours later? Like, how do you, does your strategy change for the crit? Probably in the case of a GC rider who who knows that time trial is going to shape his his final standing. Yeah. I don't know that you would, you certainly wouldn't hold back over the course of the time trial. I mean, you probably just plan on surviving the crit, mm-hmm. just yeah. staying tucked away. Yeah. How do you survive, I guess? Like, like, what are the things that you do, Dave, like to limit <laughs> losses in a crit? Um... So I know that I'm pretty much strong enough to like sit in. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not really much of a crit rider. I don't like them. You're good at them. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm okay. But honestly, like in a one in like one like Chico, I don't really try to play a role unless my teammate wants me to help. To you know to help them win. Um, I don't really like bumping elbows and fighting for those really fast like what Pete does. Right. I'm mm-hmm. not. I'm not a big guy and. That kind of freaks me out. I'm not really into sprinting, right? Perhaps you're wiser. Yeah. But I think come <laughs> you know? with age, age comes. Age changes things. Yeah. Sure. yeah. yeah you yeah. definitely, like like the last stage of the Dominican, it was like a hot dog circuit, right? Yeah. So pretty much a crit. And yeah. I rode, I think it was a 10-kilometer hot dog loop. Okay. And I rode the break for six laps with a few other guys, and we got caught with four laps to go. Yeah. And I'm like, right, I'm – I'm just rolling in on the back and it yeah. was seriously like a, like that scene in Return of the Jedi when the speeder bikes are like <laughs> bouncing off trees. Yeah, yeah. There, I saw like four dudes hit trees and I'm like, oh, yeah. oh my gosh. So it, it's like, but like Quentin was right up there. I think Quentin got fourth that day. Yeah. So it's that. like, if you're comfortable with that and I think he had to like jump over like a median and thread through some wow. trees and then back over again. <laughs> He's, you know, there's guys that can do it and are comfortable doing it, but I'm yeah. not. So yeah. I think crit is just survival. You can tailgun it. Like you can tailgun it pretty easy mm-hmm. and just finish, right? Like you can save energy tailgunning too. You can, you know, when everybody's doing that accordion effect, bunching up into the corner, you can kind of just when you go into the corner, you leave a little bit of a gap and you kind of just roll in yeah. once people start pedaling. And with criteriums, it's not super <coughs> common in those upper end races that a break gets away, stays away. Mm-hmm. So it's usually a kind of a mass finish. So if you're yeah. within the peloton in that big group, you're going to get same time. <coughs> yeah. anyway. So in the case of GC, you're not going to hemorrhage any time yeah. Yeah. over something like that. Especially those in the P12 races, the crits are like, like the early break is never probably yeah. going to stick. Right. Yeah. The ones that stick are like those last yeah, sure. few laps that either they it's the right few seconds on the field. Yeah. 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 10 seconds. Right. It's when everybody else is really, really <laughs> fully depleted. Mm-hmm. Um, it's actually we're, good. We're on crits. Uh, Dan sent in this question from YouTube. He says, what advice or tactics do you have for a time trial style rider to do well in crits? I have an FTP of 340 Watts, but poor anaerobic capabilities and tend to struggle in crits. Um, so I guess that that's not unlike, well, you have like an ability to just 
throttle up and throttle up and throttle up. But you do a lot of time trial style training too, yeah. like sustained work, right? Yeah, I'm, I prefer to do that kind of training because high threshold, mm -hmm. everything else feels easy. That's true. A small CBA. Yeah. So if you're a smaller rider, yeah. and for what it's worth, when if anybody did the math when we were talking his weight and his FTP, Dave's pushing five watts a kilogram. He's at yeah. 4.9 with that particular mm -hmm. combination. So he's right up there with some very, very fast yes. company. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, let's use our local crit as an example. It's an oval. It's, mm -hmm. pr it's really windy. Um, Pan flat. And this is the crit that we're all going to beat Pete in. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, yeah. since we're talking about Pete, he brought yeah. donuts in <laughs> and I brought kale, kale chips. chips. That's disgusting. <laughs> Look at that. People eat this stuff. Actually, if you're doing it right, you don't eat. But if this is just to remind you, if you were to eat, this is what you what should eat. Like. donuts. Yeah. <laughs> Contrasting yeah. there with Pete. Yeah, yeah. That's good. But yeah, so I was talking to Pete about this yesterday. Basically... The way this crit works is, is if, you know, Pete and I are good enough to like pretty much follow everything that goes. Yeah. But we both know that the last 20 minutes is where you go. Mm -hmm. That's when you really go. Yeah. Because we know we can do, you know, for 20 minutes at the end of an hour long crit, I can ride at threshold or higher. Yes. <laughs> so, so that's when you like try to snap the field and get away. And coming from a rider that's like got the the opposite profile of this fella, like I'm I'm very much more so like a, a hammer on hammer off type of a guy, Mountain right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I I fear that, right? I fear a rider that has this time trial style capability, and if they can be smart and hang in in the beginning, and then make a move really stick when it counts, like toward the latter end of the race, especially, mm -hmm. then that's really hard for a rider like me to be able to chase down because mm -hmm. I'm pro I, I won't be able to hold that enough power to bridge up to them. And then once I catch them, they're holding such a steady rate that I won't be able to recover. Yeah. So that does make it really hard. Yeah. And then, I mean, obviously you're going to employ the fact that you can maintain a high level of steady power. Mm -hmm. So you're going to use that to your benefit and, and not wait for the, you're not going to be like the, the responsive rider. You're going to be probably someone who follows something and then tries to, tries to attack whatever that small group is. Maybe, maybe just solos it, goes with a, a smaller attack early on. Yeah. And when you go is, can be largely dictated by the strength of the field. Mm -hmm. So I've seen guys who have big time trial prowess and they time trial off the front in the early stages of the race and, you know, maybe put a lap on the field. Mm -hmm. But when you get into the more highly competitive categories, that, that's a super hard thing mm -hmm. to do. The early breaks, they have to be strongly built with a bunch of riders working well together if they stand a chance. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, so you know, if you're a Cat 5 racer, you might be able to time trial off the front and and, and win the race, get your upgrade, do whatever you're looking to do. But as, as like I said, you move up into Cat 2, Cat 1, you're going to have to time that move and employ that time trial power with a, with a lot more strategy. Oh, yeah. I think it's also like knowing who you're racing against, too, because mm -hmm. if somebody is up the road and they're strong, you might want to like not give them much of a leash, but like see if you can get away from the field and just get up there with that guy and work yeah. together. Yeah, watch that guy establish yeah. or that rider, that girl, whatever. Yeah establish enough of a gap that you know not too many people are going to be able to come with you should you try to jump across, mm -hmm. wait for that right time when that rider's not too far away, but mm -hmm. you know, not so close that everyone comes with you, not so far away that it makes it so hard for you to get there. Yeah. Yeah. So again, the greater strategy feel, uh, folds into it. It's mm -hmm. pretty tricky too, like for um, if you get into a situation where you go up the road and somebody bridges up to you and you're a steady state athlete or more steady, remember when that person bridged up to you and 
perhaps you know that this person, let's just assume they aren't that steady state athlete, but they were able to bridge up to you. They're really, really going to need rest. And something that's, that's something that's interesting is if you are that steady state athlete, um, you can just keep your poles consistent. You don't have to blow them out of the water, but when you keep them consistent and then when they drop back in and they need to recover and you're still consistent and you're like, just keeping that consistent level, mm -hmm. that's what kills those, those hammery punchy riders. Mm -hmm. They, they really need those moments where it's zero pedaling for a bit and yeah. then they can keep going. Well, so well, you can you... really like, I, I know that crits are surgy and they are, but in many times the winning move isn't as surgy as we think. Mm -hmm. Like the winning move yeah. tends to be more steady. I, I think also a good thing to think about too is even if that's the type of rider you are, if you can cause a split in a crit at the end, like with eight guys, mm -hmm. you've just increased your chances too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. By a ton. And I'm definitely a guy who doesn't like for my weight, my sprint is pretty bad. Like mm -hmm. I think I top out at like, I think 850 watts, 900 watts. I don't have a huge sprint. At the end of a lot of work though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So not but, necessarily fresh. That, like if you've got that TT power, like that 1K, like that kilo kind of like, mm -hmm. you know, you can use that to go early. Like if you're in a group. Totally. And you can ju and just catch them sleep, you know, mm -hmm. catch everybody sleeping. And then all of, I've won races that way, like road totally. races and crits where you go with 2K to go, mm -hmm. 500 meters to go, like just catch the sprinters out. Mm -hmm. That's where that TT power plays it plays into a good role you know that's not what the sprinters want yeah. like and if you're carrying like i know a lot of people might think oh well, they'll just latch onto your wheel and they might try to but you'd be surprised at how decreased their ability to sprint is if your pace going in for that final okay. kilometer mm -hmm. is really high yeah yeah like take, it's take a lot of the wind yeah. out of their sails that way <laughs> or you're really also i mean I guess this could be a race spoiler, but you've got all have had time to watch Doors to Vlander and hopefully, yep. <laughs> <laughs> Eve Lampert won. Watch yeah. that. Watch what he did. He just he didn't really. He just nobody wanted to chase him. They're he just like, yeah. got out front, put a little power in, looked back. Nobody was responding, and he reacted accordingly. Yeah. Game over. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah. We've actually, I feel like we've seen that a lot this classic season, like. Uh, solo or like two guy moves where they just pull from a long negative way out. racing waiting yeah. for someone else to do something so you yeah. can mark it and, and, yeah. and respond to it but all, but all not those, initiating the action yeah yeah all those guys screwed up because they were watching boston hagen because yeah. he was the best sprinter there yeah. and they wanted him to peg it back and he's like nope nope that's not what i do yeah, and this right? is just a matter of knowing your competition <clears throat> yeah so the more you race the more you uh, you know stay in a particular category or a particular region and you learn who the hitters are the the people you need to concern yourself with what their strengths are what their weaknesses are because i mean you can get a guy who's got a big engine but maybe he doesn't corner well so you know mm -hmm. on a technical course he's probably not the right guy to be in a break with mm -hmm. but in a straight course like dave's talking about a basic course it's just the sort of guy you want to be with yeah so as you develop these these relationships and understandings of each rider's capabilities you it benefits yourself greatly yeah, I think steady state athletes can are are, are very very apt for success in criteriums in a lot of yeah, cases. Sure. Yeah, three hundred and forty watts. Right. I don't. Oh, that's yeah. what that guy has. Yeah, that's a big three forty. That's a lot. I mean, well, even if you're a heavier guy mm -hmm. in the flats, that's a lot. That's of what power. Pete's banking on doing. That's probably what he's going to do a lot of the time too. Yep. Is just 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 put the hurt on us until people just come unhinged and, and we start falling off. And I, yeah, I think you're our best bet to beat Pete. No yeah. pressure, Dave. I did beat him yesterday. Hey, attaboy. Nice, <laughs> nice. Um, you, you rode away from yeah. him in the spring. We actually, yeah, we had nice. a, 
we had a good outdoor ride yesterday because it went from like 43 degrees on Monday to like 70 degrees yesterday here in Reno. So, so our lunch rides are back. Yeah, yeah our Wednesday lunch rides. Yeah. Oh, nice. And for the people betting on the time trial, <laughs> yeah, it's a good Chad's bet. hammering right now. So <laughs> yeah. I'm, I think I'm in Chad pretty good. right now. Team Chad? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, I've, I've realigned my goals. So I still want the sub 50, but to make it just a little more interesting, my goal is now to beat Dave. Oh, nice. <laughs> because I think Dave is going to go under 50. So if I want to beat... If I beat Dave, then I too will go under nice. fifty. It's uh, it just yeah. makes it a little more interesting. Uh, whether or not I actually feel I can do it is kind of beside. Nate's the point. not even in the picture. He's like, no, just <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, just leave it there. That's I haven't. Nate's got the same chance he's always had. Yeah. Just not much. Yeah. I haven't. <laughs> I haven't ridden with Nate in a while since yeah. last year. So I. It would be good to go ride with him and, and just see. Yeah, and just yeah. see. Uh, for those of you that are on Team Jonathan, jump ship. Just jump ship. It's not going well. Abandon, <laughs> like, abandon. Like, you're like, a, you're like a Cincinnati Bengals fan right now. Just like, just so obviously jump ship. His, his confidence is yeah. super high. Yeah, it's, it's not good. Um, not very not good. So um, let's get into some more stage racing questions. This one is from Fisau from, uh, from YouTube. He says, do you take time to stretch after stages and multi-day events? I guess we can probably stretch or no pun intended there, but I guess extend that into not just being stretching, but like, do you roll or, or how do you recover, yeah. physically recover? So dur during a multi-day race, that's huge. Like, um, I guess, like obviously right off the bike, H24 endurance re rebuild, right? Mm -hmm. First thing. And then um, actually at our team camp, one of our sponsors, uh, Mill Valley Endurance, okay. he gave this really cool talk about uh, – sodium intake mm -hmm. and actually before I actually, um, he gave me, I'm going to have to get the name of them. I think they're called H2O pro okay. and you can get these tablets in like a thousand milligrams of sodium, 1500 milligrams and like 250 and 500. And basically what he told me is you take those big ones after the stages because really Super. You don't want to. Yeah. If you're depleted, you need to replenish that sodium just yeah. as much as the water, mm -hmm. because if you don't, you're not whole, retaining that water and it's not, you know, it passes right through. Yeah. 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 So yeah, I did, I did, I used that. And that, I think that really did help me. Like I, I was sipping on like the two fifties mm -hmm. before, you know, the night before. <clears throat> so two, two fifty milligrams in, in like 20, I think a 24 ounce. Like a normal bottle? Yeah, like a 20 ounce. Yeah, 20 ounce, yeah. And um, and then after the stages, I would take down those 1,500 milligrams. Huh. And I think that that just sets you up for the next day. Yeah. Right? So basically you're, you're yeah. very seriously addressing your hydration, rehydration. Yeah. What do you physically do in addition to like what uh, you take in for nutrition? Yeah, so stretching, definitely. Mark Pro, I, I Mark Pro for like at least an hour. Yeah. And those Definitely. are, those are like, uh, the Mark pros actually the electronic stimulation on your muscles. Mm -hmm. like, and yeah. It's, it's like, a, it's effectively like they're going for like passive recovery mm -hmm. because you aren't flexing your muscles, but the idea is it flushes things, I believe. Yeah. So. It, it, it increases blood flow, which is going to promote recovery and limb removal. Yeah. 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 yeah that's so a, that. And then stretching's huge, especially afterwards. I don't really do much before, but yeah. afterwards for sure. Cause r road racing you start out pretty, you know, long days are not hard off the gun. You usually have like a neutral rollout mm -hmm. or some, yeah. you don't need to be like super, super limber, like not for like a, a cyclocross race or a crit where it starts 
yeah. you know, bang off the gun. Mm-hmm. What do you like? Uh, I assume back, shoulders, neck yeah. and stuff is pretty sore. So I'll bring like those stick things, yeah. bring that because it's easy to fit in a suitcase. Um, like a foam roller, like the hollow one are cool because you that's Packs big, but you can them. put stuff inside of it too. Mm-hmm. So it's actually not, doesn't take that much room. That's Very a good little. tip. Yeah. 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 Um, Trying to think of what some of the other guys, guys. I know with the team camp, they had a massage therapist. Do does a massage therapist ever travel with any portion of the team? Mm. I think she comes to. She would come to the bigger races sometimes, okay. but uh, yeah, she did not come to the Dominican Republic. No, no. <laughs> but actually, I did get. How many massages did I get there? Just one. The race race yeah. had a massage. Yeah, there. yeah. They had that at Single Track Six too. That's very nice. Oh, yeah, that's right. yeah. yeah, yeah. I think our very nice to have. Dominican uh, the accommodations were quite less swanky than that. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure they were. <laughs> but, yeah. yeah. Um, I, one another question here, um, somewhat unrelated, but uh, from Pete, he says compared to, and this isn't Pete. This is a different Peter, I should yeah. say. Yeah, he says compared to Cliff Bar, how much time do you spend training on the road versus on a trainer, considering you compete in stage races and not just single day criteriums? Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I guess it would probably vary. Yeah. First first off, what's a common training load per week in hours? How many Um, hours? I shoot for like 15. I'm good. Yeah. Like 20 and up is a big week, but I do do those occasionally. Yeah. It's obviously in a stage race. I think Dominican was like 23 hours. And a high level stage race at that. Yeah. Yeah. It was like, yeah, 23 hours and 1600 TSS or something for six days. Jeez. So that's uh, contrasting to like eight to 12 is I think what Pete was saying, mm-hmm. depending usually yeah. that's where they're at. Sometimes yeah. more, sometimes yeah, for hour, hour and a half races. Sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Like personally, I do three to four trainer workouts a week. Mm-hmm. I do all my quality, like really focused intervals. Like it's r- really beneficial for me training for, cause I'm training for this TT too. Cause I don't want to lose. Yeah. I'm on team Dave. <laughs> so <laughs> so, so am I. for that steady state stuff, it's just so, it's yeah. so much easier on the trainer because you, yeah, you, you just can't replicate it. You don't have mm-hmm. any traffic. There's no stoplights. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then, uh, don't have wind. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. when you're in position and then but get blown by wind. Yeah. I do. I really like it to replicate a long climb to where there is accelerations. I think I did dragon the mm. other day mm-hmm. and I never had seen that one in our library, but that one felt a lot like racing up a climb. Mm-hmm. I can't remember the length of the intervals, but it had pretty big sprint yeah, like, spikes. I think it was a, it's a steady state effort. So like 90%, probably around sweet spot. And yeah, then you surge to 120 to 150 for a few seconds at a yeah. time. Yeah. And that, that really like, I did that one and I'm like, that's a good one to train for doing, you know, a 40 minute climb where there's going to be people yeah. or Attacking 20 minute or climb where there's attacks, but you have animation. Yeah. yeah. And you have, but then you are going to settle back down because people aren't going to ride at 600 watts for very long. So three to four workouts a week is probably more than what most people would, would perhaps assume. Yeah. Um, but then, uh, and, and, and of course we agree with that like logically, you know, uh, considering that we're training road, but you also like on the weekends, a lot of the time you'll get out. So like we have like a local hammer fest on Saturdays called the drop ride. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're a staple there at the drop ride. So you like, you try to complement that, right? Like you have your, your uninterrupted structure that can be mm-hmm. like very, uh, um, I should say like direct and intentional. And then after that on the weekends, I, I noticed, I mean, that's when you put in some more time and volume and make it l- more variable. Yeah. Right? yeah. So, I mean, like 
I like riding the trainer. I and I like riding outside. It, it, yep. They both help me meet my goals, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so the Saturday ride, depending on who's there, it can be really hard. It's mm-hmm. you. It's re, it's always tough. But if there's a lot of good guys, like if you know the local hitters yeah. come out. It's usually pretty hard. For about, what, two, two and a half hours? Usually two hours. It's like, yeah, two hours. I think the actual course, I think Rossi's got the KOM, obviously, but it's like (laughs) 135. Wow, that's uh, fast. Hour 35. And I think, yeah. So... I don't, I was not there that day. But it can depend on the, <laughs> if it's windy, it's going to be slow, right? Yeah. yeah. And then sometimes, I mean, it's it's basically laps in one area and then mm-hmm. ride over and do laps in another yeah. area. So increasing those laps obviously increases the duration of the mm-hmm. ride. But regardless how short or how long it is, it's intense the yeah. whole time. It's mm-hmm. this, that's, I consider that like my VO2 workout. Yeah. If I'm not racing on Saturday, that's like my VO2 workout. So it's basically a race substitution or yeah. race simulation, even. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, this is a question from Sean from YouTube again. He says, assuming no radios in P1, so that's pro cat uh-huh. one, how do you guys communicate in the race? Does the team stay together the whole race or do you find each other at critical points like important climbs or the finale? Mm-hmm. So how do you guys set that up? Like, is it just game plan beforehand and then execute it as best as you can? Or how do you communicate during? Yeah. So I think you go in with plan A, mm-hmm. but that's usually shot from like the gun, <laughs> <They're> gun. <laughs> <laughs> because things change so fast in a road race and you can, you can think about it, but so you kind of have a plan B, but really what it is, is just making sure that you know where your teammates are and that you know the race situation. Mm. I'm pretty small on the bike. So sometimes I don't see when a break goes because I literally can't see over, like if I'm riding behind Chad. Yeah. I can't see. Yeah, yeah he's swole. He's big. And I've, yeah. there's been a lot of times where I'll like roll up to, to Blake and I'll be like, because Blake's tall. I'll be like, yeah. who's up there? He's like, uh, none of us. So one of us should probably go. Yeah. Right? <laughs> it's kind of like, like I do. That's one of those things where, um, and Blake's our road captain too. So he's probably a little more in tune to that more stuff. Savvy, yeah. yeah. Well, I remember when I went to, uh, it was Chico and uh, another race. It doesn't matter which one. And Phil, I, I hung out with Phil. So we did our master's race and then I hung out with Phil during the P12s or I was close by and I, I saw how he coached the riders on the fly. Mm-hmm. Every lap they'd roll by on the on the circuit course at the, mm-hmm. at the raceway, the motor raceway. And he kept yelling, stay as a group, ride as a group, ride as a team. Mm-hmm. You guys are too dispersed. You're too spread out. Get back together. So obviously there's something, something behind that. Mm-hmm. Phil really drilled that yeah. every time they came by that they weren't lumped together. Yeah. So is that to facilitate communication or just to show strength in numbers? Yeah, What's that about? Because I think like strength in numbers and riding, you know, it's a fight to, for position, right? But if you're around your teammates, they're going to let you slot in. Sure. Mm-hmm. It's also to maybe potentially set up a move because if you're at the front and somebody from your team goes, then you can just soft pedal and mm-hmm. kind of give okay. them a little more advantage. Uh, I'll give you an example from the Dominican. There was only one real climbing day that had like big, you know, had like a 40 minute climb, right? Right. Two K two KOMs mm-hmm. <clears throat> and it was sort of a boring, you know, it was just one of those stages where they took you out and just got miles in your legs before you hit the climbs. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. So it was like flat, rolly out to a turnaround and then you flipped and then, you know, straight back to where you just came kind of thing, like, and then turned off there and then you hit this climb. Right. Mm-hmm. And we all, you, you know, that we know beforehand <clears throat> that that's coming. It, in this race, especially, it's this is another thing that helps a lot. We have 
this guy Gustavo Carrillo, mm-hmm. and he's he lives in Guatemala, but he's grew up in Chicago, and he is like he's the guy that we hire as our DS, oh, and he cool. nice. you know fluent in Spanish. Mm-hmm. He is so critical, like for stuff like this, because you don't like these races. You don't often get like a a race book. Like you don't know mm-hmm. what the stage is going to be, but he'll mm-hmm. go around to the locals and like ask, like, "What's this like? What's this like?" And when you say DS, that's director, <clears throat> director the, the team yeah. director. He drives the car, okay. gives us food, tells us the race situation. Mm-hmm. You know, that's helpful. Flat. If you get a flatty, you go back and get it. Yeah. And um, so he like he was clutch and like basically. And also Nate Freed, he'll he's good at like going through and mapping stuff Refunding. out. Mm-hmm. He can just go on, you know, map my ride or whatever and plot like if he knows the cities we're gonna go through. Mm-hmm. So you know all this beforehand. And uh that one climbing day, we knew we had to be like it was like a full sprint train lead out Up into that cli- into the base of that the climb. Base, yeah. And I basically I think I just kind of, you know shot my wad in the lead out basically to get keep boardman and gavin up there because they were you know they were on some pretty good form so the rest of us just kept them sheltered and just rode the front and it it was like you know probably 65 kilometers an hour into the base of a 40 minute climb wow just fighting for that first you know so you're in that upper third right yeah i mean these all typically hilltop finishes or that was that had a descent afterwards okay. of crazy descent yeah, in the wet. Imagine that it changes was, things a yeah. bit. Mm. Yeah. So it was very, yeah, it's, that's not, it's not like a crit though. Like I don't mind, like I said before, I don't like to bump and, you know, throw elbows and crits, but that's a little safer, yeah, yeah. especially when you're up there with your team, mm. mm-hmm. because then you get respect too. People are like, these guys are, they know what they're doing. They're, they're doing this right. And, you know, it was seriously a three-team, you know, lead out. Wow. Our team, the GC, the guy with the yellow jersey, and then the there was uh, their pro team. I think what's their in Teja. Okay, is the the team that Mensebo was on. Gotcha. It was like our three teams leading it out into the climb, and so, so the, pick, that team works critical. Yeah, well, yeah, and picking so that's the same t- races. Picking the same races every year is probably has some benefit too, because you come back to a race that you've yeah. established yourselves mm-hmm. as a as a team that actually brings it, yeah. is willing to do work, works well, knows what they're doing. Yeah, it's, that's an interesting thing, and this is going to be a bit of a diversion from what we were talking about. But uh, we talk about like with training, um, a lot of people, if you just have like a year goal, like, and, and it's good to have like you know benchmarks along the way. But mm-hmm. you're usually or it, it behooves you in most cases to be looking further down the road than just a year, and have like you know a spot where you want to be in a few years with your training training and racing. And that's a really good point that I hadn't thought about with that is like, you know, use that first year at whatever event you're doing to figure the thing out and then know I'm going to have two more years of this thing. Maybe you plan for three Mm -hmm. years of doing this one and I can really, so use that, use those races to experiment, to figure things out. And that's the role of the team manager. So, so that doesn't necessarily fall on your guy's shoulders Mm -hmm. so much as the guy who's run the entire team, Mm -hmm. the director. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, I think it, at our level, we're a domestic elite team, but uh, I think every race we go to, we we want to win it, you know. Yeah. But yeah. somebody on the team's going to try to win it, right? Like mm-hmm. it's not we're not feeling it like that. But if you're an amateur, like if I definitely think that's a good way to go about it. Maybe like you go do a stage race and you're there to feel it out, but go on the break and take chances. Like 
Why not? Yeah. That's a way to just, and then maybe the next year you go like, okay, now I know what this race is like. I'm going to try to ride for GC and you're a little more conservative. So yeah, it's a good way to, you know, feel it out and figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good idea. Um, we have another question here and this is somewhat similar to what we were talking about with the crits, but I'm headed out. This one's from Madden on Facebook. He says, I'm headed out for my first P1T race this weekend. I have realistic expectations and just want to finish with the pack. Any tactics that you can recommend that will help me conserve energy in a race where I'm vastly outgunned. So this is like, maybe if you showed up to like, if you guys have done a really gnarly race, that's like way above, like where you felt you were at or early season racing, I can think of when you're just not quite on form. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you guys do road racing wise to, to make sure that you conserve energy and ride efficiently? Well, I think we talked about this with Pete where <clears throat> you have to have the ability to, to kind of hide in the field and move around in the field. Mm -hmm. So once you immerse yourself in there, you, you don't necessarily have a free ride. It's still going to be plenty of work, but you're not stuck at the front. You're not dangling off the side or off the back. Mm -hmm. Excuse yeah. me. Yeah. I can, I, I think it's, that's something that's getting comfortable within the group. I think <clears throat> is something that's totally key because you have to be efficient. Like you yeah, said, and if you haven't gotten to that point when you're, you move up into the P one, two ranks, yeah. you're, you're sorely off track yeah. because yeah. The, it gets tighter, it gets faster and people are more comfortable bumping into you and yep. it's gotta be something you're familiar with. Yeah. I think just, uh, be comfortable with that cycling effect of like where you're in the, you're in that upper third or that, mm -hmm. you know, front 15 guys, mm -hmm. but then you're going to get overtaken and then you're mm -hmm. going to have to like move back okay. up. It's like, uh, you know, the washing machine effect where yeah. it's just rolling over and yeah. that happens all the time. And like, it never has to be a mad scramble either. Yeah. It's not, oh no, I'm in the back two thirds of the field. I've mm -hmm. got to get back up yeah. to the front. You, you, you worked back there gradually. You work up there gradually. Sometimes mm -hmm. it takes place yeah. quickly, but either way, it's a, it's a fluid endeavor. You're not just wasting a bunch of energy yeah. trying to maintain that, that forward position mm -hmm. in a field that's got 80 miles of racing mm -hmm. left to do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like move up. I, I always think, I always tell myself to move up, but I move up when it's slowing down or mm -hmm. pay attention to the wind. Like if it's a crosswind, get on the other side of the, of the, you know, the Peloton on yeah. the, the sheltered side and move up. It's a lot easier on that side. Mm -hmm. um, I kind of ride to one side of the Peloton or the other. Mm -hmm. I don't really ever, I don't like getting boxed in. Mm -hmm. it, you do waste a little more energy, but you always have an out, right? Like mm -hmm. you always, yeah. if a move said. or like, that's a, a way to stay safe too. Like yeah. I don't want to crash. Like yeah, I got to work on Monday. Yeah. So I, that's another way to, to protect yourself, but it's always, it's also another way to be able to move up because if you're in the field, you're and getting a better draft, but you, yeah, if a, if move a split goes, happens or echelons start to form and you're stuck, mm -hmm. like, yeah. One thing I would say too, is just go in and understand, like, like you said, you have realistic expectations, Madden, in this situation. But the one thing that I always <clears throat> recognize is that, uh, if you can just be as smooth as possible in terms of your power delivery, not being as surgy as possible, try to smooth yep. things out. It's going to pay dividends at the end. Well, and I like Always that he's, does. he's clear on his purpose. He knows what he's there for. He he's not, he's not going to figure it out on the fly. He's going into it with a specific goal. I just want to survive this, gain some experience, and come out of it alive. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, that's like 
that's a good way to to do your first P one two is mm-hmm. just to f- try to finish with the field. Yeah, because it's it's a it's a step up. It's it's a tough. Oh yeah, that I think going you know going up the categories five to four is not that much of a difference. Four to three here in NorCal is a pretty, pretty big jump. Big mm-hmm. jump. Yeah. And then three to two is a huge jump. Yeah. yeah. And then two to one is like pretty much the same. It's, right. Because yeah, if you're racing P one two, you're in there with those same yeah. guys anyways. So it's mm-hmm. a big jump up. Yeah. Uh, question from David from Facebook. He says, a uh, question about breakaways. Do the teams that try to get into the break depend on the type of stage? For example, it would make sense to me for sprint teams to try to send someone up on a sprint stage so they are less pressured to work at the front of the peloton and are thus fresher for the end sprint. Does this make sense? So, so yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying there, David. Like, basically, if you have a sprint stage, is it kind of like, do you, do you just expect a sprint team to put a guy in a breakaway move early on? Or conversely, if you have a climbing stage, do you just expect a team that has a really good climber to throw somebody in the breakaway? Is that a strategy you guys have? Or I think the strategy is to always have somebody in the breakaway. Mm-hmm. Like Bariani Road Race this year, our sprinter was in the breakaway. <laughs> And that's a, is that a climby race? No, uh, it's rolly. Yeah. It's pretty windy. flat and windy, but yeah, our, our field sprinter was in the break. Did and you intentionally put him in the break? No. Or just I, wind up in it? Yeah. I was like, <laughs> okay. I guess Willie's up the road. <laughs> there, and there he goes. Yeah. But then uh, our teammate, our Gavin won that race and he, I wouldn't say he's like a pure sprinter, but he's got a good kick and yeah. he's about my size. It's part of the reason why he won the race because you had your sprint yeah. up the road, so you guys got to turn it off. You yeah. didn't have to chase that. So having someone up the road is not not just a viable strategy, but a recommended one in a lot and of he, those cases because you're 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 kind of off the hook. You yeah. can sit in and, and cover. Yeah. yeah. And Gavin yeah. bridged up with another group of guys. Or do that, yeah. And um I saw Gavin go. There was a point where I was like, Oh, he's got a little gap. Mm-hmm. And I basically just I was at like I said earlier, like I was at the front, mm-hmm. he got a little gap and there was a couple other guys with him and I just stopped pedaling. Yeah. And it was seriously like what, just one of those moments where it could have come back, but it just that little hesitation and maybe mm-hmm. because who was ever, whoever was behind me. Mm-hmm. Might've had one of the guys in that. Yeah. In, yeah. It's, and then that the break, was the, the race. Chase. That was when Gavin set the foundation of winning that race that was when the he got away. Moment. Yeah. It didn't, weren't you able to even like call a pee break on that one? Yeah. 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 We let it, <laughs> we let a, it go out. And then yeah. I was, I actually rolled up to the front and I was like, who wants this? You guys huh. want to stop? <laughs> so that, that's gotta be a sure sign of yeah. the fact that they are not intending to bring yeah, that back. Everybody yeah. else is just like, Checked cool. Out. Yeah. <laughs> just riding to the finish line. Yeah, exactly. That's clever. So. Um, so Ellis, in this one, we've kind of answered this one to a certain extent, but he's, this is from Facebook as well. He says, if you know you're the strongest for a certain finish, say a short climb, how do you race the race? Do you surf the wheels in the finish and to be the freshest at the end, or do you surf the wheels in the beginning to try to be the freshest in the end, or do you make it hard and drop everyone just using brute strength? So, um, what type of stage finishes do you feel like favor you most, Dave? And we can use that scenario with this. Um, so I feel like I'm not like a pure, I'm a good climber where like Brandon need here is an exceptional climber uh-huh. who works here. I yeah. mean, he's just did a 30, 44 up Geiger, which we used to be Greg LeMond's like a uh, litmus test for whenever he would go into uh grand tours and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. He would always try Was he shooting for like a, it's just a sub 30, a sub 30 was his goal. Yeah. And Brandon's right there at 30, 28 or something like that. It's nuts. So yeah. Very fast. So, yeah. So. I, w- I could say that I can climb okay. I can climb okay. So hillier stuff tends to suit me. Yeah. But if they're huge climbs, like 40-minute climbs, I'm 
I'm not going to be there. Okay. Like my limit's probably like around 20 minutes. Yeah. I can, but even like that being said, like I, Blake Anton, uh-huh. he can do one climb hard, right? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He'll tell you that. He's a big guy. Yeah. yeah. He, and he can get, like, if there's one climb, Blake can get over it. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that if there's several climbs or it's like rolly, mm-hmm. like more of a roulette kind of course, mm-hmm. that's when it's hard all day long. That's where I, yeah, where it's like really tough all day. That's when I tend to do better. So in that And if case, it's a longer race too, like yeah. the more hours that go by, mm-hmm. the better mm-hmm. I am. So how do you, let's say that you are targeting a race like, like you have a race like that, you're racing it and you feel like you have a good chance at winning it on a rolly stage like that. That's a little longer. What are the things that you're going to want to make sure you're doing earlier on in the race to give yourself a good chance at winning? I, I tend to try to ride up near the front. Yeah. Um, not on the front, obviously, but like in that first third, yeah. depending on how big the field is, if it's a 35 man field, that's not a big field. So mm-hmm. you, right, you're pretty much anywhere. Yeah. 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 That's a good point. Like the, but if it's 150 guys, yeah, then you want to be in that front 30. Yes. Right. Yeah. So I try to stay up there as best I can. And it's like the way I look at that too, is it's better to burn a match to pad your position and, and like not burn a match, but burn a little energy to mm-hmm. stay in a good position yeah. throughout the race mm-hmm. rather than being at the back and getting caught out and missing the move and missing entirely. the move or, or not being field split. Yeah. Or not being in that fight for, for the main climb or whatever. And oftentimes in the back you end up, especially if it's, uh, you know, if it's a rolly course like this too, it can, that yo-yo effect starts to be introduced even then, uh, mm-hmm. many times when you mm-hmm. go through those rolly stuff. So then you end up burning even more matches, yeah. just trying to hang on. Mm-hmm. I think it's just tricky. like knowing when those key moments come too. That's mm-hmm. key, right? Like you, if you know that that climb is at 60 miles in, yeah. mm-hmm. then where so do you need to of, be? A question of knowing the course features. Yeah. You mm-hmm. need to be at the front when yeah. you get to that climb. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see that. I'm, um, I, I, I think that something that people misunderstand too is if you are in contention for the stage win, I see a lot of people just like, it's very clear that this person thinks they can win and wants to win today. Mm-hmm. And you see it by just an over-anxiousness in how they race. Like they're so eager to chase down every break. And if you don't know your competition, you don't know the course, it can be tricky to understand mm-hmm. what's, you know, what really matters. But if you do know the competition or, and you do know the course, um, I, I always find that like you two are really good examples of keeping a cool head and, and kind of making it, you know, not being Sometimes. that nervous person. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. But, Some, most of the time. But not being the nervous rider that's like, you can tell like there are riders and you're like, okay, he wants to win because every single move that dude is head up and like eager and you can see him wanting to go. And then he wants everybody else to pull him for that. Yeah. Those are the guys that I can't take very seriously though. I mean, I think those are the guys that you learn are just that they're anxious and they're eager. They're not necessarily capable. Mm -hmm. So you, you know, if you're in it to win it, you know who the guys you need to worry about are. Mm -hmm. There's always surprises, guys who are, you know, maybe up and comers and haven't really displayed just how, how strong they are, but you know, at least, you know, four or five, a handful of the guys you need to worry about. And those are the guys you mark. Those are the guys you watch. Those are the guys you're concerned with when they do roll away and, you know, it, it, you decide, nope, that's absolutely something I need to be part of mm-hmm. or find a way to get to. Mm-hmm. But uh, often enough, those are the guys who are, are calm and collected and, and they're positioned well, but they're not they're not responding to everything that's flying off the front because mm-hmm. they, they simply can't. And they've raced long enough to know that they can't. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So 
I mean, did he, he commented, do you like try to ride them off your wheel or something like that? Yeah. 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 That was one of the things, um, that he said, basically, is he looking to, or are you put in a position where you're trying to get rid of people early on in order to better your chances? Mm-hmm. I think that for me, like knowing what I'm, what I can do, my, my capabilities, I try to be either in the split. I always try to like, for me to win a race, it has to be from a reduced field okay. because I have zero sprint and like zero ambition to be in a field sprint. That, that <laughs> yeah, field yeah. size reduction comes as a product of how strong you are yeah. and how strong the guys who mm-hmm. make the, yes. who, who whittle the field down. Yeah. 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 I've had so many times where like you'll hit, you'll be in that front group that's trying to get away and then it'll keep com- coming back together and coming back together. And then it's like, Oftentimes, if you just roll off the front of that, like mm-hmm. after it slows down and just keep pedaling, mm-hmm. I've had that br- like snappy last so many times that, that, that it's established a breakaway. <laughs> yeah. Like if you just do that one last push. Yeah. You've and done, then you can you've done that to me in plenty of <laughs> Yeah, you can. Yeah, it works. <laughs> <laughs> I think like, man, I'm really animating this race. And Dave's just rolling away. Dave's just it. playing with you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he's tired now. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Well, you, that's the thing. The thought in your mind is like, I can't do like, I, no matter how strong you are, I think you have self doubt. Yeah, well, yeah. and that's another like, thing that I, um, who's our question? Uh, this one is from. Forgive me. This is from Ellis. Yeah. So Ellis, th- th- there's never really that one guy who's that much stronger than everybody else. I mean, there are probably a handful of riders who are yeah. equally capable, mm-hmm. and and it's it, it's not up to one person to dictate the way that race is going to unfold. I mean, I've seen incredibly strong domestic professional riders with a, a nearly a full lap gap on a pretty, you know, maybe like a, a kilometer long circuit. And you think, oh, it's over. There's only 20 minutes of racing left. It's over. Yeah. And then the guys behind organize and they bring it back mm-hmm. yeah. in, in 10 minutes. Yeah. So it's, there's, there's never one person who's going to dictate how this race is going to unfold. No, like it, when you get to the higher level, there's nobody and, and, that's And that's, that that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Yeah. There's, I mean. At well, the lower levels when you're maybe yeah. blowing through the, you know, the cat five, cat four, sure. and you're that guy with yeah. that huge engine. You have somebody exceptional, like a Rossi mm-hmm. who just flies through, you know, oh, I'm going to race bikes. And then he's going to just win every bike race. Yeah. <laughs> because, he, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, this is from David from Facebook and a slightly unrelated question. He says, do y'all ever feel sluggish after a complete rest day? And then he asked, do most people just sit on the couch during these rest days or try to get out on the bike for a little bit? At least I found that I'm more likely to be sluggish after a complete day on the couch for some reason. And this one actually does tie into like stage racing. Cause mm-hmm. I know, um, I haven't done a stage race long enough to warrant a rest day. Um, I've only done six That's days right. is the longest. So, uh, but I know you have, mm-hmm. um, what do you do with those rest, those critical rest days? Um, so the longest stage race that I've ever done was 12 days and we got one rest day Wow! and That's you wild. definitely go ride. I mean, mm-hmm. you go ride for a couple hours. Mm. Um, it, it, it carries the training too. I mean, when you do, do a hard block of training and then you take a complete day off the bike, you can bet that that next day back on the bike mm-hmm. is not going to be your best performance. Yeah. Yeah. So, and it's for that very reason that I like people to try to ease back into their training and, and why it's, Sometimes you just, if you're, if you're assessing FTP for, for instance, and you come back on a Tuesday after taking Monday off, mm-hmm. maybe get on the bike on Monday and do a half hour easy mm-hmm. spin, or maybe even a couple short efforts, yep. depending on just how tired you are in anticipation of performing better on Tuesday or postpone the, the assessment.
movement to Wednesday yeah. or the harder workout to Wednesday with an easier ride in your legs coming into it because th there is that sluggishness. It's so yeah. very common. Oh yeah. Like I've, and we've mentioned this before, but like, I always find that I do, I perform most poorly after a rest day. And then I mm -hmm. perform, usually I perform better. And this is a personal thing and it totally changes, changes with age, but changes from person to person too. But I usually perform better with one to two days of, 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 pretty decently hard effort into the legs. Okay. And then that third day, I really feel like I'm firing pretty well. A lot of riders are in that boat. I mean, I, I would guess that maybe when you do two and three day races, first day isn't, isn't quite as good as the second or third day. Mm -hmm. And I know race weekends are the same way. The Saturday race seems mm -hmm. to have a great influence on how well I do on yeah. Sunday. Yeah, it really does. So, since Dominican Republic's fresh on our minds and we talked about it at mm -hmm. our other podcast at team camp, like, after this race, I was tired. Like at the final stage, I was tired and I was glad to be done and mm -hmm. not crash. TSS will do that in but six days. Yeah. I actually felt like I'm like, bring it, like, let's do another stage. Like I could have ridden another stage. Mm -hmm. But wow. then the next day, I took, we didn't do anything. We just packed our bikes immediately after the stage. Mm. And like those next couple of days, I felt, I'm like, am I getting sick? Yeah. I, like yeah. I felt terrible. There is some research that, that backs up the, the idea that the basically the endorphins are getting, they rolling and, and each mm -hmm. day there's, there's an uptick and uptick and uptick. And that rest day allows them to drop back down. So that when you drop, you jump back in, you kind of have to rebuild them. Mm -hmm. Whereas what you're describing is you come off of a, a series of days where you're just burying yourself. But that next day, even though you should be tired and muscularly and you know, maybe centrally, you are actually tired, but for whatever reason, the, the painkillers are still flowing mm -hmm. and you can still go out there and do some work. Yeah. 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 And like, I definitely do notice like that getting stronger throughout a race. Mm -hmm. So like, I think that my best ride in Dominican came on day th three mm -hmm. and it was insane. It was like a magic day on the yeah. bike, right? It's <laughs> yeah. just Shameless. like, yeah, yeah, just didn't feel the chain. Yeah. Boardman and, and Quentin and I all made the front group of 15 and I think we did 125 Ks in the breakaway. Wow. Or maybe 110, That's something like that. And it was like four hours of just hard, <laughs> as hard as you could go, pace line. And we put seven minutes into the field or something like Holy that, six cow. minutes. And that was three days in. Three days in. Yeah. And that was probably my best day on the bike of that whole race. Yeah, I found that a lot. And so it's it's kind of to be expected, like just, just know that coming in. And everybody will react slightly differently to rest days. So you just have to know how you react and how you're currently <coughs> reacting because that can change too. Yeah, no, I've coached, I've coached riders who need that full rest day and uh -huh. they come back and they are ready to get after it yep. after a full rest day. And then other riders who need to sharpen, other riders who need to do a pretty substantial workout the yeah. day before a race weekend. Yeah. It's it. it it's definitely subjective. Yeah. So play around with that. Um, another question, this one's from YouTube from the comeback kid. He says, as someone coming from time trialing, how do you recommend getting into road racing? Or do you have any tips you wish you had starting out? So it's pretty rare in the States that you see somebody just getting into time trialing here, but it's really common over in the mm -hmm. UK to see people just do time trialing. Yeah, those 10 milers and yep, mm -hmm. all the stuff they do over there. Um, so if you're coming from time trial efforts and then going over to road racing, what tips would you give people? Because they probably have a pretty a good amount of sustainable power. It's they got assumed. good fitness, yep, but probably fitness. no, no uh, experience with riding in groups. Yeah, is my guess. Unless yeah. they, you know, maybe maybe, maybe yeah. do a bit of that in training. Yeah, I, yeah. I think I would just search out the fast group rides around mm -hmm. your area, mm -hmm. do those, see how it works. I mean, the 
road racing is like, that's why the strong guys don't sometimes don't do super well because it's so like, yeah, there's a huge learning curve. Yeah. I mean, you just have to put yourself in all these different situations and you, you see how it works. Yeah. I mean, it's so fluid. Every bike race is so fluid. Like, like I said, like your plan A goes out the window, (laughs) plan B goes out the window. Yeah. It's just, it's, it's, you have to just see it. Yeah. Watch bike races on TV and, mm-hmm. and ride yeah. responsibly, learn how to anticipate and learn just, just how to maneuver, how, how forcefully you have to react to some things and how, mm-hmm. um, almost complacently you can react to others. Yeah. It's a, it, there's a lot of learning the rhythm of group dynamics. I would say go in with like specific objectives that you can control to those group rides. So for example, like you're, you're new, let's just assume you're new to, to race environments with groups. Uh, one day, just tell yourself to, to try to, like we've talked about, maybe try to stick in the first third or the next day, just make it a goal to, to start a breakaway and stick as long as you can. Right. Or maybe another day, make it your goal to chase down X number of breaks, like whatever it might be. Like if you go in with those little goals that you can control rather than, cause I see a lot of people just go like at our local hammer fest that we have the drop right on Saturdays, people will show up, they get dropped and they're like, I hated it. I got dropped. But if you come in with a different goal, then because maybe you're just going to get dropped because you're not familiar yet or you're not strong enough. But if you come in with a specific goal that you can actually make sure happens, mm-hmm. then job done and it's been successful. And, and that way you can learn week after mm-hmm. week in different ways. And, and don't necessarily be the rider who, you know, because you're a strong time trialist or maybe you've got a triathlon background who thinks, you know, my strengths are what they are. So I'm just going to try to roll off the field. If that doesn't work, then that's my strategy and that's it. Mm-hmm. Be the guy, the the girl, the rider who learns get in there and accept that I'm not going to be great at this right away, but I'm mm-hmm. going to try to figure this out. Mm-hmm. I've got a lot to, I've got, I've got a big engine. I've got a great potential, but there's so much I need to learn about this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go in and figure some stuff out and expect to not necessarily fail, but not excel for a little while. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty normal. I think that's it. Cycling is so mental too. Like you could have great fitness. Mm-hmm. And I, I honestly think like I'm a pretty decent rider, but I think that what one of my strengths is, is like, I will, I'm pretty tenacious, right? Like yep. I, and that just comes from seeing Experience. things and it even, it even can go to just knowing, knowing the game, right? Yeah. yeah. You just, and I, I don't want to sound like braggadocious or anything, no, but no, no. like, I don't win very much. I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> if you get into this sport to win, you're, yeah. you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. That's like, a true story. Yeah. <laughs> but. Was that going somewhere? I thought but you yeah, it's all, it's all, <laughs> it's all worth it when you, you, you know. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's just the way it is, right? You got to learn, got to get it, get out there. One, a uh, next question, next question from Sean. He says, how much time do the Mark pro guys spend riding with each other outside of team camp? Do you all mostly just do your own thing and just show up for races and go? Um, so Team camp is probably the only time that I ride with a lot of the guys because I live in Reno and most of the guys are in Northern California. Some in Southern California. Yeah, Sam Boardman and Nate Freed. And I guess Blake's pretty far south, but I guess he's in slow. Yeah. Um, Yeah, so that's another reason why we do those team camps is just there's new faces, but it's also like a time to catch up, right? Like I haven't seen seen those guys in – yeah, four months. Right? You do multiple camps a year. Uh, the yeah, team does, so we do two that. team camps. Uh, I think the younger uh, the younger guys yeah, on yeah. the team probably see each other more. Yeah, because they're of the same age and they 
you know, they might go and do stuff together. Yeah. But do you feel that hinders you at all compared to like a team that might like live in the same area and just, because I mean, the pro teams are very similar to how you guys do it in the sense. I don't that even know that even, uh, up at the pro tour level, you have a, a lot of opportunities for the team to ride as a team. No. Yeah, I mean, they most don't of the time your training is yeah. just done on your own, maybe yeah. with a training partner or two. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, it was different when Rossi was still r racing road. I would go ride with him, mm -hmm. and Ben Reagans is on the team. I ride with Ben a lot. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a small handful, if yeah. maybe just another rider. Um, that being said, though, I think like this, especially this year, this is my third year on the team, and I yeah. feel like we have such a good group of guys like that are all like you have to have an ego to a certain point to do this sport, but mm -hmm. like these guys all keep it in check and mm -hmm. it's it's um i think we're all really friendly and we get along well so it's like you haven't seen that person for four months and then you roll in and you're like oh let, great yeah. to see you let's go ride yeah and it's it's another reason why i like doing the travel races overseas is right. is you get to see your teammates who you haven't seen in a few months or a mm -hmm. couple weeks or you know um Really get to understand who they are and how they ride yeah. and everything else. I mean, yeah, you're in that, like the stage races, you get to know people. Oh, be, yeah, I'm sure. You're in a bubble. You know people's breaking point and you know yeah. that someone so leaves their underwear course. on the floor. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> Um, the, and, and perhaps the last question, we'll see if you have any others, uh, throw them in. Uh, we didn't get to all of them, but, um, this is a good one. And I feel like it would provide for possibly a good ending note. This one's from Junio. He says, uh, with such a big interest in the USA regarding cycling, why don't we see more Americans in the Peloton or American dominated teams in Europe? And he has a sad face after that. Um, that's a good question because, so, I mean, we, the Northern California region that you race in very regularly, Dave, is one of the most competitive ones in the nation. And we see like, like Nielsen palace and, mm -hmm. and they're like fast riders, like, you know, plenty of fast riders that have come from that region, uh, or young Americans, I should say that are coming from that region right now. But why do you think you race with these young kids that are moving up all the time? Why do you think we don't see so many of them at the top level racing, you know, on video TV. games, <laughs> no. uh, but the American guys, like, why aren't we, why don't we have, why aren't they as successful? What do you guys think? I, so I don't want to take a dark note, but I think that the Armstrong stuff kind of maybe discouraged people mm -hmm. from getting into it. And yeah. maybe we're like in a little dearth of like new talent, but even like on, on a bright side, we do have some, very promising riders, yeah. even in my team. Yeah. I know there's a couple guys on Mark Pro that are gonna they're gonna go to that next level for sure. Yeah. Um uh I think, yeah, I think we've like kind of we're running out of like years for Van Garderen, you know, he's yeah, like mm -hmm. he's been our hope for a while, but mm -hmm. we do have, you know, Nielsen Palace and Sepkus and those yeah. guys that have taken yeah. that step up. Some true so it's – I definitely think that the Armstrong thing, kind of funding for teams and stuff like that, it just – Kind of knocked it, the wind yeah. out of the sails. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I can only speculate, but I, I would attribute it to – it just feels to me, appears to me, that the European culture is more cycling immersive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Just like a, a baseball player over here can be – I mean, that, that's their life. They yeah. can spend their entire mm -hmm. – their lifestyle shaped around it. And I think that carries to cycling – you know, mm -hmm. across the pond, not as much over here. I think yeah. that our high-level riders, 
that's not the only thing that, that that's not the one thing around which their lives revolve. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I feel like we have like kind of a disconnect, like with our feeder systems uh, being a bit weak and, and we everything have feeder else. systems. I mean, we have a couple a couple Devo teams and, and there's the talent, uh, development camps, I believe that USAC yeah, has, yeah. Mm -hmm. but it's, uh, and it's good and it's helping like a lot of riders, um, and it's helping them out. I just, but, I think that we just need some time to build a base. Yeah. I don't, I don't think our infra infrastructure even touches no. what they've got going in, no. in yeah. Europe. In, in I, yeah. I think when you look at, I mean, I just saw a video of like on Facebook of like 10 year olds <laughs> in Italy yeah, yeah. riding yeah. bikes, all, you know, their pipeline starts when, when these kids are yeah. Barely out of diapers. <laughs> they start early. <laughs> and then just like us going down to LA for aero testing, mm -hmm. that track is like the only one, only Olympic level track mm -hmm. anywhere in the US. In the US. I was right? kind of shocked to know that that was yeah. the only one. Was surprising. When, when you think about guys, like kids in, in Belgium or, or in France, the Netherlands, they're Netherlands. probably doing velodrome racing when they're super young. Super young. And <laughs> I think our culture. Although we like we have great endurance athletes here, yeah, in triathlon and road cycling and in running, I think if you if you look at what Europe is like, we pushed kids towards baseball and football, like yeah. sports you can do when mm -hmm. you're fat. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, true. Yeah, totally true. I mean, it's different, and not to take anything away from those sports, but like that's our culture, right? Yeah, yeah. If I, had, if I, had, if there was a kid that was a road racer going to school when I was young in our school, which there was not, I, he would have been weird. Like, like, you know, yeah, we, I mean, we, we've probably culture. got this, yeah. the same amount of talent over here as they have in Europe. We just don't um, suss it out, flesh it out mm -hmm. as well as they do. We don't yeah. have the, 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 the pipeline, the support, yeah. the infrastructure yeah. that they have over there. Yeah. I, I think a good, a good example would be Australia. Look at how many high level, there top level cyclists come out of Australia. There's. Mm -hmm. That's a Crazy. 7 million people in that country, and we have 325 million yeah. in the U.S. <laughs> yeah. So we obviously, like, if you just crunch the numbers, the talent is here. Yeah. here. But Australia is just doing it the right way, right? Mm -hmm. They're developing it and finding it and doing the right thing. But yeah. it'll change. It, yeah. It'll yeah, change. Absolutely. I think so, too. Um, well, I guess that that covers it. I will close with one last thing. This is from Alex from Facebook. He says, what's your number one tip for recovery on stage races? And I assume that he's talking like day-to-day -day recovery. Uh, it's it's going to sound like a sponsor plug, but recovery <laughs> drink yeah. from H24 and yeah. the Mark Pro. Yeah. I mean, it, it really does work. And like you've said before, maybe that's just putting your feet up. Yeah, yeah. But it's hard to know. But it's stretch, you know, just that ritual. Like I feel like training's a ritual, right? Mm -hmm. But recovery is a ritual too, right? Mm -hmm. So whatever, if you if you make that a point to do that every day after a race or a hard training session, mm -hmm. like if you take down your recovery drink, stretch, mm -hmm. Mark Pro, whatever it is, roll out. You do those consistently. Like Chad always says, mm -hmm. this is about consistency, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Like if you can consistently do those things yeah, in your training and your recovery, it's going to be, be a benefit. Yeah, and with that uh, high level of consistency, small tweaks are noticeable. You change something subtle, but you've been consistent with everything else. It's, it's a little easier to, to pin any effects on that one little change. Mm -hmm. Awesome. 
Very cool. Well, thanks, Dave. This has been good, man. Yeah. Hopefully uh, I wasn't too boring. <laughs> no, it's <Stop>. awesome. <laughs> I feel like we got into some stuff that we actually don't really cover a whole lot because we don't talk a whole lot about stage races because mm. we don't do as many of them. So we're really glad that, mm. that you were able to do that. America stuff, Dave. Um, yeah. Well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk about my team. and Yeah. And where can people find more info on the team? Um, we have a Facebook page, Mark Pro Cycling. Mm-hmm. Our biggest followings on Instagram, mm-hmm. which I think that we probably post on there more. So if you really want to follow the team, go to Instagram, yeah. our website, Mark Pro Cycling. Yeah. Follow the riders too. You'll find them on via, through following the team. Yeah. You'll find the riders and they're, like you mentioned in the last podcast, super approachable, good dudes. Mm-hmm. So when you see these guys at a road race, yeah. go say hi to them. Yeah. Follow all of us. Our team manager, he posts a lot. Mm-hmm. He's got a cool company called Michelangelo too. You can yeah. follow him there. Yeah. Makes funny little stem caps. <laughs> he does. It's <laughs> true. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're big on social media. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks guys. And thanks for joining us. And remember you can submit your questions. We'll be back to a typical episode, a normal ask a cycling coach podcast episode. Cause Nate will be back in town next week, back from Hawaii. We'll see if he got faster. Yeah. I kind of feel like I'm sitting yeah. in the, the king's throne or the king's throne. Chair, yeah. trying on, trying on the crown yeah <laughs> <laughs> you did well with it um so we'll be back with the normal episode so that means send in the questions that you have whatever they are cycling triathlon training whatever uh within that realm send them in uh you can do that at trainerroad.com slash podcast and we'll talk to you all next week thanks everybody thanks everybody thanks